0: Good evening, church. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, uh, to be gathered here, to hear your word, to, uh, to praise you, and to think deeply about um, what you would have for us to hear from you tonight, Lord. So I just pray you would bless us. You'd be honored and glorified as we, um, as we hear from your word. Lord, thank you for your word that's been preserved for all these years for us to be able to, to hear, um, to be able to read it, and to be able to, by the help of your spirit, to understand it, Father. So we just praise you. We thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. Bless each person that's here tonight, and we thank you for them. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well... Um, i mean, Pastor Ryan, for those who may not know me tonight. I look around, most everybody in here knows me. So um, I'm one of the associate pastors here. Pastor Mike is, um, he's under the weather. He blames these Bradford pear trees. That's um, probably true. You can't really get away from him up here. So he's, uh, just pray for him. Uh, for those who are joining on Facebook or YouTube, we're glad that you're with us tonight. I hope you're blessed. And uh, as well, so um, so I got this morning. It just hit Pastor Mike that this morning that he wasn't going to be able to go tonight. So I got that, and so when that happens last minute, you get whatever I've been digging into lately. And here lately, I've been digging into Galatians. So guess what you're getting tonight? You're getting Galatians. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians, um, chapter one, Galatians chapter one, and we'll dig into that. Um, you know, I'm. I'm a Tennessee fan, and I'm still bitter about this loss to Michigan, and there's a guy wearing a Michigan shirt right here, like right in front of me. So if I get off tonight, just so you all know, that's why I'm off. I may have to put you back in the corner somewhere. Um, so looking at Galatians tonight, and we'll read verses 1 through 10, but we're, we are want to specifically look at verses 6 through 10. 6 through 10. And, of course, the letter of Galatians, it was written by Paul and to a a group of churches in Galatia. We know it was a group of churches because in the second verse, he addresses it to the churches throughout Galatia. Galatia is located in a a region of present-day Turkey. And he had preached the gospel to these churches. You'll see in this letter that as we read these, these verses that he had been there. He had preached the gospel to them and that he was dealing with a particular issue with this church, um, a very serious issue with this church. Um, They they were beginning to give ear to a gospel that was not the gospel that Paul preached when he came the first time. And so we're going to dig into that. We're going to explain a little bit of that. Um, This letter was probably written sometime between 48 and 55 A.D. And so let's dig into these 10 verses, and, um, and then we'll... Let's uh, focus in on verses 6 through 10, and then we'll go from there. And I'll make a few points. I don't have a handout for you tonight. I know Pastor Mike usually has an outline. I didn't have time to put that together for you uh, this evening. So, uh, But the title, if you are interested in taking notes, is No Other Gospel tonight. We're going to be talking about No Other Gospel. So let's read Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead... And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So if you, uh, just as as an introduction here, if you look at those first few verses, verses 1 through 5 in Galatians 1, we see that Paul is making a very clear point about who called him to be an apostle. Um, Paul was not called by man, nor was he called from men, if you'll read this, to preach the gospel to Gentiles. No, he was called By God. He was an apostle by God, which which would make a lot of sense. He's going to have to defend his apostleship if you keep reading in the book of Galatians. Paul, a lot of times, had opposition to his apostleship. People that would oppose that he was an apostle because he was not one of the ones who walked with Jesus when he was on the earth, right? He did not spend the three years like Peter and John and James and Andrew and the rest of those guys um, with Christ. So he was an apostle unusually born, right? Paul became an apostle Later, He had an encounter with the risen Christ. He spent time with Christ, but it wasn't in the same way that the other apostles did. And so he often had to defend his apostleship. And, he, and if, again, if you keep reading in Galatians, you'll see that he has a really neat story about how he, you know, he really is an apostle. And one of the ways that we know that is because he says, I was called by God. I was not called by man. Man did not call Paul to serve. The churches did not call Paul to serve. God called Paul to serve to serve and to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And so his calling and the gospel itself were not invented by man, but rather revealed by God. And so Paul is clear in these, in these few verses that introduce here that, that the grace offered to us comes through Christ and that he freely gave himself for us to rescue us from this present evil age. And it was according to the perfect plan and the will of God that that would happen. And so as believers, we must understand the truth of the gospel so that we might be on guard against false gospels, because that's exactly what Paul is going to do. There's There's a distortion to the gospel among the people of Galatia that he's going to be dealing with. And so the truth is, is that the church, you know, from its very beginning, ever since the church started, ever since the church was commissioned and Peter preached after Pentecost and all those thousands of people came to follow the Lord in Jerusalem and when the church started to be persecuted in Jerusalem and was driven out of Jerusalem and started to be established in other places ever since the inception of the church, they've been dealing with error related to the person of Christ and to the message of the gospel. There's been false teachers and false gospels ever since the church was birthed. So it's always been that way, and it'll always be that way. There isn't going to be a time that that the church exists, that there will not be uh, enemies and opponents of the church, nor enemies and opponents of the message of the gospel. And Satan is often very subtle at this, right? When we hear uh, messages, he's very subtle at how he may tweak the gospel so that it is distorted. He doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? There's often truths to these false gospels that are, that are weaved in with the untruths that they're presenting. And it's presented to people as the gospel. But if you subtly remove one element... Or if you subtly remove, add another element, then you've changed the whole meaning of the gospel. And Paul's going to deal, deal very harshly with these, these people who are troubling the church at Galatia. And that's what he's speaking about here. So um, he's making it clear that there is no other, no other gospel. And that the one true gospel is worth fighting for, it's worth defending Um, Evidently, it's worth rebuking the church for if they start believing something other than the true gospel, because that's what he's going to do here. So normally in Paul's letters, it's very interesting. If you notice the mindset, if you look at verses 6 and 7 here, so let's drill into 6 through 10. If you look at verses 6 and 7, you see the reality of false gospels. The reality of false gospels, you're going to see the primary issue that Paul's addressing and what these proponents of another gospel are doing to the gospel message. So if you first notice his mindset towards the Galatians here, and a lot of times if you read a letter of Paul, the letter of Ephesians, Philippians, he often starts his letters with, with a greeting. Um, he, he, he lets this, the people know that the letter is coming from him. And he uh, usually has some type of thanksgiving or praise for the church. He thanks them for something. He, he praises the church for something God is doing among them or how gracious they've been or how generous they've been. Um, but you see in Galatians, he just kind of bypasses that. There's just a greeting Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ. And in in verse 6, he's immediately in to the issue because it's a very troubling issue to Paul. And he uses this word amazed or astonished in some translations that he is amazed. He's astonished that they are turning from the gospel. And this Greek word for amazed or astonished can be, uh, you can you can also translate it as marvel or wonder. It's used in other places in the Gospels to refer to how people were amazed or at in awe at the teachings and the miracle of Jesus. So it's almost as if Paul's being a little sarcastic here. Um, it's kind of like when we're describing something that bothers us and we say, "Well, I think it's funny how," and then you go on to describe a bad attitude or an action done towards us, or I think it's just. Or you may say something like, I think it's funny how rude that you can be or how rude this person can be. Or I think it's funny how so-and-so says one thing and they do another. And when we say those kinds of things, we don't actually mean it's funny. It's not humorous to us, right? We're being sarcastic about it. And Paul here is just astonished. He's amazed. It's like he's saying, it blows my mind. I marvel at how quickly you have turned away. So he's not just noting that they have turned away, but he's noting how quickly... The church in Galatia has turned away. And John MacArthur um, says uh, in one of his commentaries that the phrase turning away could also be translated as deserted. Some of your translations may have that. How quickly you have deserted or are deserting him who called you. So they were deserting. It's a Greek word that, in sh- a lot of this, this word deserting or um, turning away is can also be used in a military sense to convey a soldier deserting his duty. Um, so what were they? What were they voluntarily turning away from? What were they deserting? And Paul, so Paul notes that it's the gospel, but it's more than that. It's God Himself. So Paul doesn't just note they're turning away, but he notes the quickness by which the Galatians have turned away as well from the gospel. Um, he isn't just saying, again, reiterating this, he isn't just saying that they turned away from the message of the gospel and turning from the message of the gospel, they're turning from him who called you by the grace of Christ. They were deserting grace and they were pursuing legalism, which we'll get into more about what was, they were being taught here in just a moment. But, uh, you know, so think about this. God in grace had called them These Galatians, these believers in Galatia, had called them to salvation through the preaching of the gospel of Paul. They heard the gospel and they received it from Paul. They had been saved by grace, not by any work that had been done by them. They didn't do something to earn it. Paul proclaimed the gospel. God used the message of the gospel and he drew these sinners to him and he saved them. And they were um, obviously not all of them but a lot that Paul was addressing in the churches of Galatia had received the gospel. Not by anything they had done, but by grace. Yet they were deserting that gospel, and they were turning to one of works, as if the grace that had saved them wasn't capable of keeping them. They had been saved by grace, and now they're trying to keep that salvation by doing what these false teachers said they needed to do in order to maintain that. And specifically, the Galatians were turning towards the teaching of a group that would later become known as Judaizers. And they taught that in order to be a Christian, a person must first become a Jewish proselyte and begin adhering to the law of Moses. And specifically, if you're drilling down into a specific issue that Paul is going to be addressing here, these teachers would tell the Gentile, Gentile men that they would have to become circumcised in order to be saved. Because he's going to harshly condemn that teaching later in the letter as well. So they were, in essence, what they were doing is they were attacking the heart of the gospel that we as Baptists and Protestants in general would call justification by faith. That it is only by the grace of God through faith in the person and the work of Jesus that a person is saved and that and that alone. And that doctrine is so important for the message of the gospel because if you ask how is somebody made right with God before the 1500s, The Catholic Church would say, well, you must receive grace from the church, right? You must go to penance. You must do penance. You must receive the sacraments, uh, communion with the Lord's Supper. You must do confession. They viewed the church as like this bank of grace, and in order to receive the grace of God, you had to go make a transaction at the bank and withdraw grace. And And then the Protestant Reformation happened and the Baptist movement happened, and you get this justification by faith. And they would say, no, it's by grace, through faith alone, that a person is made right with God. It's not through any work that we have done or ever can do. It is simply by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting His completed work on the cross. That's been a core message of the gospel since the beginning. And Paul is saying you're deserting that. You're deserting that message. Paul was concerned because these these troublemakers were wanting to fundamentally change the message about the Messiah. But he was also concerned because the Galatians were his spiritual children. He had gone to them. He had preached to them. He was the first one to share the gospel with them as an apostle to the Gentiles. He felt responsible for them. Um, And he was hurt. You can almost hear the hurt in his voice. He was hurt by how quickly they had turned and had embraced a false message, one contrary to the one Paul had brought them the first time. And most importantly, and we have to remember this too, in embracing this false message, they were turning, as Paul would say, from God himself. Right? That I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They are turning, and turning from the message of the gospel, they are turning from God. So they were turning towards a perverted, distorted gospel. And it's a stark reminder for us. And we think about, well, there's no Judaizers telling Gentile man, or to do this today. There's no, nobody um, prominent anyway saying, do all these things according to the law of Moses to be saved, at least in our church and ones that I've been associated with. But it's a stark reminder that Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Jesus plus anything is an anti-gospel. It's, it's not good news. When you add something to the work of Christ, that is not good news. Or if something else is required of you other than what Christ has done, that is not good news. It's not good news that in order to be saved, I must first adhere to some strict list of rules and regulations. It's not good news that it's up to me to work hard enough in order to earn and merit the favor of God. That's anti-good news. Perverted and distorted, they're incomplete gospels. And they abound in the world today. They abound around us. Many are leaving the church deconverting today they're turning from the grace of god of course i think just as dangerous of a message today abounds as well instead of saying do all these things and you'll be right with god there are some many who may say well instead of do all these things and you'll be saved they're saying well just just be yourself you're already saved it's kind of a it's kind of a do nothing gospel god isn't asking you to to feel there's no conviction of sin he's not asking you to uh, to There's no call to feel shame for sin. You know, they would. I heard one pastor say that, you know, discipleship, the, the goal of discipleship is not to be transformed into something different, but for God to reveal to you who you've been all along. Well, if that's true, then that's going to be a pretty sinful person. If you think about who you've been all along. I was born in sin, raised in it didn't have to be taught how to sin. All of us are sinful by nature for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So a gospel that would tell you that you don't need to repent, that there is no point in placing faith in Christ, well, that's not good enough either. It's also a perverted gospel. So we have to be, these have to be countered. Placing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone is the truth of the gospel. It's the core of the gospel to be made right with God. What do we do? Well, we trust the work of Christ, and that's enough. So to add anything to the gospel, to take anything from the gospel, is a false gospel. So Paul is going to go on, and the second thing he's going to do in verses 8 and 9, he's going to warn the false teachers. He's going to, this is a pretty harsh warning. As a matter of fact, he says it twice. He wants the churches to get it so much, he says it twice. So let's first understand, um, he says, Even if an angel from heaven... "...should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed." And he includes himself. If we or an angel, if an apostle or an angel or anyone comes and says and preaches a gospel, proclaims a gospel contrary to the one that Paul brought them originally, let them be accursed. And I think it would help us to understand these two verses if we understood when we talk about the word curse or accursed in the Bible, what are we talking about? What do we mean? Um... One, one um, pastor says that throughout history, God has devoted certain objects, individuals, and groups of people to destruction. Judas is an example of that. Pharaoh in the Old Testament. And so based on that, we begin to understand this definition of cursed or accursed in some translations. It's the Greek word ananthema. Ananthema. And this word only appears about six times in the New Testament. Uh, it means, it, and what it's referring to is something that's been devoted to God without hope of being redeemed or something doomed for destruction, destined for destruction. Um, one definition states that um, it could be a, a person accursed, devoted to the direst of woes, devoted to the direst of woes. So, uh, to put it simple, it's not a good place to be in, to be accursed in the Bible, to be, to be something or someone that is declared anathema. And I say all that for us to know that Paul is calling down the strongest possible curse on those who would propagate this false message, this false gospel among the Galatian people. Anyone, as a matter of fact, who would preach any gospel contrary to what Paul had spoken to them the first time was considered to be considered anathema, devoted to destruction. Uh, and he, he even says this about himself. Even if we, even if I myself were to show up and proclaim a gospel different. And the one that I proclaimed when I first came, let me be cursed, anathema. So even if he showed up and did that, the same curse called down on him. So where, where else in Scripture do we, do we see this concept of um, being accursed or anathema? Oh, well, one place is Joshua six seventeen, where God commanded everything in the city of Jericho to be devoted to destruction, except for Rahab. Um, Paul uses the word again in Romans 9 verse 3 when he says, For I wish that I myself were anathema, accursed, and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Of course, there Paul's referring to how his people, the Jewish people, had rejected the Messiah. He would rather the curses of God fall on him rather than see his people perish without Christ. That's how much he longs to see them come to know the Lord. Uh, Another place is 1 Corinthians 12, 3, where Paul says that no one who says that Jesus is anathema is from God. So according to Paul, based on his usage of the word, only those who reject Christ claim that Jesus was accursed or who teach a false gospel should be considered anathema. Now, there are are places in Galatians where he's going to go on and talk about how Jesus became accursed for a period of time so that we may... Uh, so that our sins were placed on his shoulders, and that's not what we're talking about here. That somebody who would say that Christ currently is accursed, Paul would say that that is that's anathema. That person is to be rejected. So any or anybody who teaches a false gospel. So we need to listen to this closely. So when we when we give ear or we follow anyone who preaches or teaches a gospel that differs even slightly from the gospel of the apostles then we're following those whom Paul declares to be an anthema, accursed, devoted to destruction, deserving of the direst of woes. So it's pretty serious business that Paul's dealing with here. And you can tell it's serious because he doesn't waste any time getting to the heart of the issue in this letter. Satan is a deceiver. He's a liar. Jesus himself says he's the best one, as a matter of fact, the father of them. Many false gospels say... A lot of right things about Jesus, and they deviate slightly. They're anathema, according to Paul. They're accursed. So, if you see, so here's the question: So, what's what's at stake? What's at stake when someone deviates from the true gospel? Is that what what's happening? Is that they're devaluing the work of the cross? Anybody that would come along and say that you need Jesus plus anything is is pointing to the cross and saying that is not enough. And we as Christians have to reject that message. We cannot give ear to a message that would point to the cross and say, that's great, but it's not enough. The cross is more than enough. What we have to do is we have to hold up the substitutionary work of Christ as sufficient because people who would propagate a false gospel would hold up the work of Jesus and say, that's not sufficient. They're saying more needs to be done. That is a false gospel. And that is what Paul is saying is in need of being accursed, anathema. Throw it out, cast it out to the direst of woes. And I know it sounds harsh coming from Paul, but many a false teacher sounds good. Sometimes they seem kind. They seem to do a lot of good for a lot of people, but they're still false because small details matter when it comes to the message of the gospel, when it comes to the eternal souls of people who are hearing and receiving a message, the small details matter. They matter a lot. So how can we know when we're hearing a false gospel? And what's at stake when a church or an individual embraces even just a slightly edited gospel message? Well, here's, here's one way. So how do we know we're hearing a false gospel? Well, here's just a few comparisons to give you. A false gospel glorifies man. The true gospel glorifies Christ. False Gospels devalue the work of the cross. The true Gospel holds up the work of the cross and embraces it. False Gospels make much of man's work. The true Gospel makes much of Christ's work. False Gospels destroy the church. The true Gospel builds up the church. False Gospels divide. The true Gospel unites. And so what's at stake with a false Gospel? What's at stake even for a slightly edited Gospel... Well, the glory of Christ is at stake, according to Paul. The souls of people are at stake, which is why he's so urgent with this letter to the Galatians. And the health of the local church is at stake. Again, while Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. Because we even these small, edited, they sometimes find their way in to our own heads. They find their way on into our own personal libraries or selection of music. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we reading? What are we listening to? What are we watching? Are we always being discerning according to the Word of God with whatever our eyes see and our ears hear? Are the things that we're listening to, are they saturated in the truth of the gospel? And if not, if we promote a message about Jesus that's even slightly edited, then we're promoting a gospel that Paul would say is accursed. So what are you sharing on Facebook? What are you Sharing on other social media accounts. What kind of emails are you forwarding? Because so we have to be careful with that. This is a huge warning to us. Paul takes very, very seriously the message of the gospel and any slight tweaks that man might make to it. So we always have to be discerning and trust the Lord and read his word and pray that he would help us to understand the true gospel and to be able to see and respond to false ones. Because they're not often very overt. They're very subtle. So there, verses 8 and 9. And then we get to verse 10. You might get out of here early tonight. I don't know. Verse 10. So what's the reward of false teachers? What do they receive? What does Paul receive? And Paul makes a very... There's a key distinction between false teachers and God-called teachers here that Paul makes in this one verse. Um... And he talks about um, what it means to be a people pleaser also in this verse. So verse 10, For am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? It's a very good question. I guess for any of us doing anything in this life, anything for the church, any service for God, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And then Paul makes a very clear statement. If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So verse 10 is really a, it's a transitional verse that's linking Paul's argument and his strong statements here to what he's about to talk about in the next section, which is defending his own apostleship, defending his own testimony of how he came to know the Lord, of how he came to receive the gospel. Paul's basically going to tell them in the next few verses after this, so verses 11 through uh, 16, that, that Paul's message can be trusted because it came from Jesus and not from man. But verse 10 is transitional. Uh, Some people may have accused Paul of being a people pleaser. Kind of hard to believe when you read the first part of this letter that Paul would be a people pleaser. But some people may have accused Paul of trying to be a people pleaser, not requiring the circumcision of the Gentiles in order that he might draw in the Gentiles, right? They don't have to do that. That's just, you know, Paul's obviously being, um, he's being a, a crowd pleaser, a people pleaser, seeker sensitive, if you will, by not requiring Gentiles to do this. Well, that's a false statement. Um, He makes it clear, Paul makes it clear that his goal is to please God. He has no desire at all, nor should we, in winning the approval of people, of the world. He's talking about of the world here. Paul's goal was to faithfully preach the gospel. And then he makes it clear that if he really wanted to be a people pleaser, if he really wanted to please people, then he would not be a bondservant of Christ. If he had wanted to be a people pleaser, he would have just stayed in his previous life. Right? He was a respected and admired Pharisee, but he submitted himself to Christ. By the way, if you, Paul, I think it's in 2 Corinthians somewhere, you know, if he was seeking to please people, there's a lot of awful things that Paul endured for the sake of the gospel for somebody who was a people pleaser, if that's true. right? How many lashings and beatings and stonings um, and shipwrecks and snake bites, and all these other things that Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. It does not sound like a people pleaser to me that Paul would be. One of my favorite um, stories in the book of Acts, I believe it is, where Paul is entering a city. He preaches the message of the gospel. They're so upset by it that they they stone Paul, and they leave him for dead. And His, his followers show up, and he looks dead um, by all appearances. And then... After a little while, Paul just kind of gets up and goes right back into the city um, and just does what God's called him to do. Um, so Paul is not a people pleaser. Paul has been called by God. He seeks to glorify God through the message of the gospel. Um, so this term that Paul uses, this term slave or bond servant of Christ, Pastor Mike uses this, this word a lot. If I, was, uh, if I were to try to please man, I would not be a servant. Of Christ. This is a this is a Greek word. It's an, it's used a lot in the New Testament. It's used a lot by Paul, and I did want to examine that for just a minute. It's a Greek word, doulos. D o u l o s. Probably has different spellings, but the word simply means servant or servant or slave. Uh, it's a pretty common term in the Roman world. There's nothing unique about the word itself. It was a very common word. Um, Many people in the Roman world were bound to other people for servitude. Sometimes it was voluntarily to pay off a debt. Sometimes it wasn't. Um, One definition that fits very well here um, was it means to give up himself to another's will in order to advance their cause and not yours. And that seems to fit very well with what Paul is referring to here. And his binding, Paul views himself as being bound to Christ. To be a bondservant means you are you're binding yourself to somebody else. Whatever their cause is becomes your cause. Whatever lot they have, that becomes your lot. Um, Paul is binding himself to Christ. Paul is binding himself to the message of the gospel. Paul is seeing that, that God's kingdom is advanced, not his own. Paul is seeing that God's will is advanced, not his. Paul is doing God's work. And I think that the idea that Paul is getting out here um, is that he is giving up whatever he could have had as a Pharisee, binding himself to Jesus and to the message of the gospel so that God may, through him, save Gentiles. That's, that's how Paul views his calling. Um, plus, one's experience of being, in, in the Roman world, one's experience of being a bonded servant depended entirely upon who the master was. Um, some Roman slaves had gracious masters And they submitted themselves to him for life. Some slaves inherited things from their masters. They received um, an inheritance from them. So all that to say, Paul viewed his life and his ministry as bound up in the Lord Jesus. So whatever the fate of Jesus was Paul's fate, whatever he endured on this earth, Paul expected himself to endure. But the good news is is that if you bind yourself to Christ in this this world, there's a lot of hardship that Christ says to expect. Hatred of the world that, that Christ says to expect, um, defending against false gospels that Christ says to expect, the persecution of the church, the suffering of the church. Um, all these things come as a result of binding ourselves to Christ. Jesus himself actually in uh, the gospel says that if you're going to follow him, you must take up your cross, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. There's really, and based on Paul's experience and based on the words of Jesus, to bind yourself to Christ in this world means that you contend with a lot of stuff that's bad. There's a lot of spiritual anguish that comes from that. There's a lot of rejection that comes from that. But to bind yourself to Christ in the next life means that you inherit all things that Christ inherits as well. To be a co-heir with Him means that all the things the Father gives to Jesus, He will give to you. So to be bound to Christ is temporarily, temporarily a trying thing, eternally a blessed thing. Paul knew that. Paul had bound himself to Christ. Paul had bound himself to the message of Christ. He had submitted his will to Jesus and he sought to advance the cause of Jesus, not the cause of Paul or anybody else. So that's a major sign of false teaching when somebody advances a cause for which they and not the kingdom are the chief beneficiary. Anybody who advances a message by which they benefit the most from it and not the kingdom is false. False teachers seek to be people pleasers and to gain a following. God called teachers seek to please God and to see him followed and him worshipped above all things. So... How do we fight the sin of being people pleasers? According to Paul, you bind yourself to Christ. You promote the work of the gospel. You share that so that God may do his work of salvation through the message of the gospel. So there's a few exhortations here that I want to give you before we wrap up tonight. And there are four application points um, that I wanted to talk about. So one... It's very clear when we read this passage, one of the things that we should understand is that we should not abandon the gospel that led to your salvation. Do not abandon the gospel that led to your salvation. So the gospel you heard about Jesus, his work on the cross, his substitutionary death, his resurrection from the grave, his work through the Spirit now. um, All those things, the gospel message that you heard that God used by His Holy Spirit, to draw you to Himself and to save you. That is the work, that is the gospel that we're to cling to, to teach, to preach, to share, and to not deviate from. So that's the clear message of Paul here. Do not deviate from the message first proclaimed by the apostles through His Word. Two, we're to spurn false teaching. Paul says, rebuke it harshly. Rebuke it harshly. If you see a brother or a sister in Christ that you see that, are, that is deviating from the truth of the gospel... The most loving thing that you can is to rebuke that person and to draw them back towards the truth of the gospel and the Lord Jesus. We as Christians tend to think that the gospel is something that, that we hear one time, we accept it, uh, and then we kind of move on past the gospel in sanctification and in growing up. And the Bible is very clear that the work of the gospel is an ongoing thing in our lives. We don't get over the gospel. We don't get over... The work of the cross. We draw deeper into the work of the cross. We draw deeper into the gospel. The work of sanctification isn't to move past the gospel. It's to go deeper into it. And so we spurn false teaching. We rebuke it harshly. And those who are brothers and sisters who are drifting that way, we draw them back to the message of the gospel and re- reiterate it in their lives so that they may go deeper into it and grow into Christ's likeness. The third thing that we learn from this is a good servant of Jesus is to seek to please God and not people. To not strive to be a people pleaser, which is really hard for... none. Of, we don't want to let people down. Many of us don't... We don't want people to be mad at us. We don't want people to be offended by anything that we would do or say. Some of us, may maybe some in here don't care. I don't know. Maybe you're one of those people. But some of us do care. Um, and so this is a work of God in us. We seek to please God, and sometimes that means we're spurned by people. We're rejected by people. Sometimes the, what hurts the most is not being rejected just by people that we don't know, right? But what may hurt the most is being rejected by people that are close to us. Family, friends that we've known for a long time because of our devotion to the Lord and our refusal to re- to participate in the things of the world may spurn us. Um, and so that's when it becomes hard, right? Um, but as a bondservant of Jesus, we're called to please God and not people. So... Seek to do His will and not your own. That's the last thing. As a bondservant of Christ, as those of us who, like Paul, have bound ourselves to Jesus, have bound ourselves to the message of the gospel, submit our wills to Him, advancing His cause and not our own. We, we're not called to build our own kingdom on this earth. We're not called to glorify our own names. We're called to glorify the name of Jesus and to advance His cause. And so, as bond servants of Jesus... We are to bind ourselves to him and advance the kingdom of Christ above all things. So that's the, the final application points that I have here tonight. Um, and I hope that uh, through this that you would be encouraged maybe to be more aware of what we're listening to, of what we're hearing. I know that I've been guilty in the past of, um, you know, it's, it's very easy to uh, listen or to absorb things that you would say, well, it's. I don't completely agree with that, but there's nothing harmful in that. And if you go, the subtle things, the small details can lead to big details. The small shifts lead to big shifts in our life. A church that deviates only slightly from the work of the gospel in the beginning will end up being an anti-gospel church in the end. So we have to be careful where we go and stick closely to God's word. And so I hope that we're encouraged by Paul's words here to this church um, to be a church and to be a people that Paul would not have to write this kind of letter to, um, to rebuke us because we have abandoned the gospel that we heard at first, um, the gospel that saved us. So we, may we never be a people that abandon the gospel because there is no other gospel. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your work. We praise you that um, at some point in our life, somebody came and they shared the truth of the gospel with us. And that through that, you moved in our hearts um, and that we repented, we placed our faith in the completed work of Christ. And by doing that, we were justified, we were made right, we were reconciled to you, Lord. And so we just praise you for that work in our lives. Praise you that you have given us your word, you have given us the gospel message, that You, your word says that we're, we're called to be ambassadors for the gospel. Where we bring a message of reconciliation to those who don't know you. And we call out to them to be reconciled to God through the work of the Lord Jesus. And so I just pray that we would, you would strengthen us for that work. You would encourage us, give us courage to do that work, to share with others, to not deviate even one iota to the left or to the right of the gospel message that you've proclaimed, Lord. And so we, just, we trust you. We, we praise you for who you are, for what you're doing. We ask you to be with each one that's present here tonight. Go with them as they go. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Seven minutes early. Thank you all.